The reading is taken from Acts chapter 2. It starts during Peter's talk to all the people at Pentecost. From 36 to 47. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wonderful. Thank you, Dot, very much indeed. So good to be with you today, and thank you so much for your interest and prayers for those of us who went to Israel. Pleased to say that we had a fantastic tour, that everything went remarkably well, and that everyone kept safe and well throughout, and had uh, a profound experience. And each of those who were on the tour, I think, will have their own stories to tell of how God has spoken to them of how something came alive in a new and fresh way, how their faith was rekindled and strengthened. So do talk to those who were on the tour and uh, encourage them to share their stories. Uh, sadly, there's been a little bit of COVID in the group since we returned. Everyone was well until we got home. Uh, but I can assure you that I tested negative yesterday and I tested negative again today. Uh, though Francis is positive and two others are also positive at the moment, but no one's seriously ill. So I will put a mask back on after the service just to be completely safe. Grateful to Martin for leading the all-age service last week on that great theme of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, being with us, leading us, guiding us, and keeping us safe. And as we continue in these uh, Sunday mornings, we're into the second part of our series of sermons this year, on discovering Jesus and encountering church. So between Christmas and Easter, we were thinking of discovering Jesus. We were looking at Jesus through the eyes of some of the characters 
that were part of his life and story and discovering new truths about Jesus. And now we're exploring church and encountering church. And it's so important to realize that these two belong together. According to YouGov statistics in 2020, 27% of the population believe in a God of some kind, and a further 16% in a higher spiritual power. But only 9% of the population attended church at Christmas, and only 2% at Easter. So there's a disconnect between believing and belonging. Between those who believe in some sense, in God, however they might understand that, and those who belong to a local Christian community. But there's something very fundamental about Christianity, which means that it is more than individual. It is shared in community. Jesus called his disciples together. They became the earliest community of believers. Within Matthew's gospel, Jesus spoke about being especially present when his people come together in his name. We thought about that a few weeks ago, where two or three come together in my name. There am I in the midst. He met them again after the resurrection, commissioned them to be agents of the good news as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. And we thought about that verse as well. And then once the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and the believers gathered together and devoted themselves to a number of core activities, we can take these core activities rightly as being normative for the church in all generations and in all places. So to our reading this morning, which was at the end of Peter's speech on the day of Pentecost, as the believers again gathered together, and what were they doing? What they were doing was summarized in three very simple words, learning, loving, and worshiping. Learning, loving, and worshiping. Learning. Spiritual renewal and learning go together. And we need to have a hunger to learn. Now, there's a different kind of learning for us than what was going on in this passage. Because in this passage, the believers, the early believers, were learning from the disciples. The New Testament had not yet been written. So they needed to hear about what Jesus said and did. Of all that teaching, which we have recorded in four accounts, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they were learning as the disciples shared their stories of what they had heard from Jesus himself. They were learning from the apostles in the first generation. We are learning in a different generation, but we're also equally learning about the life and the teaching of Jesus, how following Jesus means a totally different way of life. Our learning is also about understanding and interpreting the scriptures that have been given to us, which have now been in, uh, in the church's hands for so many generations, and how they apply into the 21st century life. We have more than ever to learn in our post-Christian society, our post-COVID society. We need to know our Bibles well, but we need to understand how that text relates to our world today. 24-7 discipleship is not straightforward in the moral maze and confusion of life today, so we need to learn. 
And we learn in different ways, don't we? We learn as uh, someone speaks. We learn as we sit down together in groups and talk together. We learn through one-to-one conversations, through the encouragement and support that we give to one another. Learning is very much a shared experience and a key part of church life. Learning. But it's no good learning and then not doing anything about it. Learning leads to loving. And that's the meaning of fellowship. These early disciples devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Loving. Sharing in other people's lives. That's what the word fellowship means. And the early believers developed their faith and life against a background of growing persecution. And they needed each other to stand together in hard times. And there was practical caring going on, and there were many illustrations of it here and further on in the book of Acts. The sharing of homes, the sharing of possessions, the sharing and generous giving of money. It was integral to church life. Not a legalistic thing that you have to do so much in a certain way at a certain time, but just a spirit of generosity that brought love and care within the Christian community, a depth of love and care, which was very profound. There's more to come about thinking about our sharing and our loving within a Christian community. And one of the great blessings of speaking this morning is that I know that it's part of a series, so I don't have to say everything all in one go. And I think there's, uh, there's another sermon that I'm due to speak sometime in June, which picks up more of our loving, of our caring, of our generosity. So we have learning, we have loving, and we have worshipping. Because these early believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and then to breaking of bread and prayers. And those two we bring together. Perhaps the two most important elements of worship breaking of bread and praying. Further on, we discover that these things were going on in the temple courts and in homes. In some ways, it was organized. In some ways, it was more spontaneous. And everyone was filled with awe and wonder at the signs of the Spirit of God at work. There was an expectation that prayers were being answered, that God had visited their city, that these were awesome times, They were worshipping with glad and sincere hearts. It wasn't a chore. It was a delight. And worship and food seemed to be closely linked. Uh, Breaking of bread, I think, in the uh, words, words of Acts 2, verse 42, was more in the context of worship and, and was more a link to the bread and the wine that Jesus spoke about at the Last Supper and what we celebrate in communion today. Whereas the sharing of food and breaking bread in homes uh, further on in verse 46 was possibly something a little bit different. That was more the informal, relaxing sharing of a meal together. But in a way, the two shouldn't be put too, too much into different compartments. There is a connection. Part of our fellowship is to eat together. And part of our eating together is to share bread and wine, which has that very special significance 
of remembering the body of Jesus broken for us and his blood shed. And that worshipping embraced praying as well. The bread and the wine and the prayers. The prayers that were opening the hearts of the lives of the believers into the presence of God and enabling them to be effective in their ministry to the world. What was the end result of these priorities, of learning, of loving, of worshipping? It was that the Lord added. The Lord added. It's there twice in verse 41 and 47. Through the preaching of the apostles, through the witness of the new believers, through the practical love evident in their common life and the joyfulness of those who were praising God, if any of those things had been missing, then I doubt whether the growth would have been there either. There is no magic formula to success in the church. But if we commit ourselves to what those early believers committed themselves to, we can trust God that the Lord will add. The Lord will add. We commit ourselves to learning. We commit ourselves to loving. We commit ourselves to worshipping. And the Lord will add. I'm sure you're aware of the idea of mystery shopping. And I had a look at the website of one company which specializes in mystery shopping and customer satisfaction research. They define their role in this way. That mystery shopping is an evaluation, measurement, reporting of customer service standards by the use of agents acting as if they were customers. It is arguably the fastest and most effective method of obtaining hard, objective management data about customer service levels. Did you know that there were mystery shoppers in churches as well? And some of their findings is recorded in a website called The Ship of Fools. I'm not sure if they're still operating. Obviously, COVID had a huge impact on this where none of us were able to go into buildings to meet together. The latest reports that I could find are for 2019, but they may well come back into action in the year, years ahead. But in 2018, a mystery worshipper attended a church in London where I had previously been associate minister. So it was with some apprehension that I had a look at the report as to how this mystery shopper, a mystery worshipper rather, found the congregation at Ballon Baptist Church. It was quite a relief that it was generally positive. One of the questions was to mark the church out of 10 as to how the visitor might feel making this their regular place of worship. Ten meant that they were ecstatic and really wanted to be there. Uh, zero meant they didn't, didn't want to go again. Uh, thankfully, Balaam scored eight, which wasn't bad. But I wonder how a mystery worshipper might respond if they came to us here. Would they find us learning, loving, worshipping as we should? Would they find the evidence of the Holy Spirit among us? Would they find that positive expectation that God is able to answer our prayers, that he's able to work more than we can ask or imagine? Would they find a real sense of community, that we're talking to each other, that we're caring for one another, and that we have a vision that goes far beyond this community 
both locally, nationally, and internationally, which we touched on today, didn't we? We touched on the learning opportunity of Alpha. We touched on the mission opportunity of Mercy Mission. We touched on the local community opportunity of Kairos. And there are many others. The church is not a human institution. It is a divine intervention. But we have a part to play in this process. In human terms, what the church looks like depends on what you and I bring to it. In David Watson's book, I Believe in the Church, he simply said, if you want more life, give your life. If you want more prayer, give your prayer. If you want more love, give your love. We depend entirely on God for the church to exist. But we need one another to fulfill our part in the life of the church today.